This is a podcast from the Caldor Centre for International Refugee Law at UNSW Sydney. For more information, go to www.caldorcentre.unsw.edu.au. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to The Power to Welcome, supporting refugee students in our midst. My name is Jane McAdam, and I'm a Professor of Law and Director of the Caldor Centre for International Refugee Law at UNSW Sydney. Before we begin, I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional custodians of the land on which all of us find ourselves and pay respects to elders past and present. Well, a student's life can be amazing, it can be challenging, sometimes it can be lonely and full of uncertainty. But there are extra, often invisible challenges for students who come from refugee and asylum-seeking backgrounds. That in itself might explain why only 5% of refugees worldwide have meaningful access to higher education. With crises in Afghanistan, Myanmar and Ukraine, among other countries, the number of students in our classrooms who are affected by displacement is sadly growing. So how can universities build a culture of welcome for displaced students? Today, we are privileged to be joined by three current and former students who can tell us firsthand. They will share their experiences with us about university life and also make some recommendations for how others can show support and solidarity. I'm delighted to introduce each of them. Dr. Alfred Mupenzi is a lecturer and senior project support officer for the Refugee New and Emerging Communities Program at Western Sydney University. He finished his PhD in education at the same university in 2018. And prior to that, he trained in Uganda as a high school teacher, where he also obtained his Masters of Arts in Public Administration and Management. Cobra Zayadi is a recent graduate of arts from Macquarie University and a former student ambassador. She has an interest in writing, storytelling and cultural journalism, and is currently completing a residency with the Bankstown Arts Centre for the 2022 Bankstown Biennale. She's also a member of Saba Group, which is a youth-led community organisation advocating scholarship and education for the Hazara diaspora in Australia. Shahida Hadari is a third-year student studying for a Bachelor of Business and Law. She's an active youth leader who is passionate about social justice and helping marginalised communities. Shahida is a strong advocate for issues affecting refugees and mental health, and she's just secured an internship with law firm Baker McKenzie. So we're privileged to have such an expert panel of speakers, and I'm sure we're going to have a rich discussion. The way this panel will operate is that I'm going to ask the speakers a series of questions, but all of you have an opportunity to ask questions in the chat as well, and we'll put some of these questions to the speakers. So to begin, Alfred, Cobra and Shahida, I'd like to ask each of you in turn to reflect on your own journey to higher education. You're all highly accomplished people, so how did you get there? Alfred, let's start with you. Thank you very much, Jane, and that was a brilliant introduction. Uh, first, uh, don't be lied to, because the accomplished uh, structure that we are presenting was not structured. It was by not by design, but sometimes by chance. What am I saying? Growing up 
I was born refugee and first 17 years of my life I was living in a refugee camp. And once you are a refugee, the only education you can have is primary education. We used to call it universal primary education provided by United Nations High Commission for Refugees and sponsored by them. So you do not have uh, a chance to pursue higher education. I, for one, chance dropped in and I was adopted by the Catholic Church, and that's how I had access to higher education. So the accomplishments you are seeing were not by design, and that will tell you when I finished my undergraduate as a high school teacher, I waited until I could not see any further support, and I chose to take up a degree that was convenient, that would allow me to study and work. And that's how I ended up in public administration and management. My first duty was to be a teacher, and when I got another scholarship, that's when I went back to teaching to pursue my dream. So it's never a linear journey. It's never a straight path. It's rather a try and error chance. So we'll speak more about that, but that's about me. Yeah. Thank you so much. Cobra, how about you? How did you get there? Uh, thanks so much, um, Jane, first of all, for the introduction and also for having me. Um, but yeah, I guess similar to Alfred, my journey to higher education wasn't like the most conventional either. Um, so I was lucky enough to start high school in Australia. So I arrived here in 2010 and started school from year seven. Um, so in, in that sense, I guess I was lucky in that um, I got to have a, an idea of like what high school was like in Australia and also higher education. Um, but yeah, I did attend school with all four of my sisters um, and they're always there with me. And I was the youngest at, um, of the four of us. Um, and so when you you know, school did finish and I graduated high school. Um, I It was quite a big transition for me as well in that I wasn't sort of used to that kind of independence and having to kind of na navigate a whole um, education system that's, you know, very different to, to high school as well. Um, so, yeah, all of that was very different for me. So it was a big transition. Um, but, you know, I, I did end up kind of learning that throughout the way. Um, and I end up finding my passion and my interests, um, which was a difficult thing um, for me to do as well, because I feel like it's not always easy to know what you want to do straight out of high school. And there's always that expectation on students, um, you know, to know exactly the degree that they want to get into or the career pathway that they want to get into. Uh, but, you know, as young people, you can have multiple interests at the same time. So, um, yeah, I guess I was lucky in that in high school, I got to kind of exper experiment with that a little bit more and find out what I enjoyed doing and, you know, reading and that kind of thing, which is what I was drawn to at the time, the arts. Um, and so, yeah, I got to um, I got to follow that in university and uh, in that sense, I, I was very lucky. Yeah. Being able to follow your passions is always such an important thing. Exactly. Shahida, it was a bit different for you. As I understand, you started school in Australia in year 11. So do you want to tell us about your experiences? Um, yeah, sure. Thank you, Jane, for the introduction and having us today. Um, yeah, my journey has been completely different because I went to primary school in Afghanistan. I have been to like at least four different schools there as I was moving uh, across the country. Um, but then I became a refugee at the age of 14. 
that I had to leave and go to India, which is where I missed three years of my life not going to school um, or study at all. And then when I came to Australia, I, I had already, I was lost. I had already lost my passion and everything because um, the time that you spend as a refugee, it's like, it's uncertain. Like, you don't know how long you're going to be there. Um, and that's how much I lost the passion. I lost my direction. When I got here, I was sent to um, an education and an English center, which they teach you English to prepare you for high school. Um, but I only stayed there for like one term, which is two months. And I had no idea what was going on. But still, I was lost. I didn't know what to do with um, whether I should go to high school or TAFE. Um, but then I did continue to go, to go to high school. I was sent to year 11, and I did my year 11 in year, and year 12 in a, in a school that was 99% um, Australian-born, which was very, like, strange for me. I, it didn't feel really home and stuff, which I will talk about a bit later. Um, but then in high school, I did really different subjects just to see where is my interest. Um, and still, I was struggling a lot. And then um, we had um, people in the school, like the teachers, they were helping us in what type of degree you want to get in, in university, whether you want to go to university or not. Um, but then in year 12, I, was, um, I, I just chose business because it seemed like that was the only thing that I could accomplish. It's just three years, it's not that hard. I had done business in high school, um, even though that, was, that wasn't something that I wanted at any point in my life before. Um, so yeah, that's, um, I got into university in Western Sydney um, and I chose business for my first year. I did business and then in my second year, I kind of, um, I became more aware of how is the, um, the system, the education system here, and I explored myself even more, um, which I found my way back to how I wanted to become a lawyer when I was younger. Um, and I just applied for law again, and I got to do both business and law in my second year. So now in my, um, I applied for law in my second year, and I got to do to start it in my third year which I'm now studying uh, first year of law and third year of business. So yeah, that's a very summary of my journey of becoming coming here so far. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, I think the, the challenges that you've described are ones that so many people have never had to think about, let alone face. Um, and, you know, all power to you that you have achieved so much already and all of you, you know, you're on an upward trajectory, that's for sure. Cobra, as you explained, you started high school here in Australia, so you did have some familiarity with the system before you enrolled in uni. But even so, what were some of the challenges that you faced and, and what was it that helped you to navigate them? Yeah, that's right. So I started high school in here, but um, I guess after graduating, it was difficult to sort of um, know exactly, first of all, the degree that I wanted to do, but also in terms of finding a new group of um, friends from high school. So the university that I went to, um, a lot of my friends couldn't go to. It, you know, it was sort of like a distance thing as well. 
um, where other universities were closer to them. Um, but yeah, so that, that was one of the things that I sort of struggled with as well on top of having to kind of um, find out how to navigate kind of the different courses and how university works and um, applying for extensions and all of those sort of things. Um, it was funny because I was just thinking earlier about how um, my sister once told me she did nursing and she said that um, she couldn't, uh, she didn't apply for a single extension for any of her um, university assignments. Yeah, for the entirety of her degree. Um, and, you know, that might have been because that's sort of like a personality thing for her where she really prefers to, you know, have assessments done two weeks before the due date and that sort of thing. But I think it's also a kind of, um, it's a pattern with kind of uh, migrant and refugee students in that they've got very high expectations for themselves as well. And um, they set very high standards for themselves. And, and so going into a, you know, new kind of system like this or an experience it can be a little bit a little bit difficult to ask for help um, and you don't always sort of feel comfortable asking for help because you don't have that kind of context or understanding that it's um, completely normal for students to you know like send an email to their um, lecturer and ask them you know for for a few weeks um, extension or a few days extension um, and so I think that that was one of the things that I sort of struggled with as well initially um, in the first and second year of university in that, you know, it was, um, I could, I could have asked for help a little bit better. Um, and that could have made my experience a lot, a lot easier as well. Um, so I think in that sense, if the university had sort of been a little bit more kind of, um, forthcoming as well and open to kind of help out in, in those, um, circumstances, um, it could have, it could have helped a lot. Yeah. Mm, I can see how that absolutely would. Just if you're not familiar with the system, you don't know what what you can ask for, then that in itself can be a barrier, um, you know, a barrier to asking for assistance. Shahida, you've already told us about some of the difficulties and struggles you had initially when you um, started school in year 11. So how do you think that in turn impacted on your university studies? And what was it that helped you to navigate or manage some of those challenges? Um, so when I went to high school, I was still very new in Australia and also in the school. Um, one thing that I really struggled a lot was with my mental health. Um, and that was something that started there and still continued in university affecting me. Um, so when I was in high school, it was hard for me to socially connect with other students, especially um, other than my culture. There was only like five of us that was from my culture. Um, and it was very hard to connect and feel a part of that environment. Um, so that even um, did affect me in, high, in university, but in university, um, there was more support that I was aware of, which was in high school as well, but because it was a very small number of us. It wasn't very mentioned to us, or um, it was just, we didn't know about it simply. Um, yeah, that was something I struggled in university and also, um, but yeah, there was a lot of people that I could ask for help. Um, there was counselors, I remember uh, visiting counselor on like a weekly basis to help me to uh, stay on top of my work. I was also very struggling in meeting the deadline, um, being on top of the work in high school. I was failing like majority of the subjects because of my language, the language barriers that I had. 
Um, and it, it, it did affect me because when I was in my own country, I was one of the top students in my school. And this was something that I couldn't accept here. I couldn't accept being like the lowest, like someone who's like the laziest known um, myself. Um, so yeah, mostly I was struggling mentally, but then um, financially as well, because I was new here, no employment um, experience, none of that. Um, however, in high school, um, I did mention this with our career advisor, and they provided us with work experience at that time, which is something that helped me to uh, find jobs and stuff. Um, but yeah, another thing I did struggle with was just understanding the system, navigating through university. I missed out on a lot of opportunities, just as I did in high school. There was a lot of like leadership opportunities in high school um, that I missed on. And even in university, the same, because of the lack of uh, knowledge or information that I had or awareness that I wasn't provided with any information about that. Um, yeah, I think it would have been really great if there was more information provided about that in my um, high school, um, I would definitely, I would have been more ahead uh, with other students as well. I could have helped myself better. I could have, um, and also what Kubra said, um, I couldn't ask for help. For some reason, I didn't know that help existed. You know, there was support for me that I, if I could have asked, it, it would have been easier for me to study there or to be there. Um, so yeah, that was, those are some of the things that I did struggle with. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, a lot there, from language barriers to financial barriers, to you know, your the own high standards that you set for yourself, through to basic information and lack of access to it. Um, that's a common theme that that is coming through. Alfred, you've been really instrumental in working with a lot of students who come from refugee backgrounds and trying to make life at uni easier for them. Some of the students you work with were resettled in Australia as refugees. Others arrived as asylum seekers and have faced a very uncertain journey. So could you tell us about some of the obstacles that you found students facing at uni, whether it be some of the things that we've already heard about or family expectations, caring responsibilities, gendered elements and you know pure racism I've heard you talk about as well as, as being a big challenge and and can you tell us you know how are you trying to address these of course in doing so please feel free to reflect upon your own experiences as well but because you do run programs it would be really fascinating for us to hear sort of more systemically too how you're trying to address this. Fantastic uh, I hope I'm able to bring all that into perspective uh, one thing I had wanted to say for the benefit of our listeners, we don't become refugees when we reach Australia. <laughs> so we are thrown out of our country and we are displaced. Then we go through transit countries. And in transit countries, uh, we have three options. You are either integrating in that country or being repatriated back home or being uh, resettled in a third country like Australia. So I'm cognizant of the elements of being, becoming, and belonging, since we are talking about the power of welcome. And when we reach in a third country like Australia, there are quite a number of uh, perspectives 
that one would speak about because the first perspective is we have fled from pain, we have fled from war, and we have finally reached a place of rest. How do we know that we are just beginning the struggle? And the struggle begins with the cultural shock. The struggle begins with the settlement processes, integration into communities. And the struggle begins with assumptions and stereotypes about who we are. And then the struggle also comes with not as an individual, but as a family. Because the only thing we share with everyone is the sky above us. And the whole perspective of education it's the only thing we can move with, and the only inheritance we expect our children to have. So it comes with high pressures. <laughs> From the parents' perspective, the parents want to see a new life, and they want to see students succeed. And they also give what they have because they only know the education system from their respective countries. They have not been exposed well to Western knowledges and Western education system. And so the pressures uh, tantamount to like become a lawyer, become a medical doctor, become a successful business person, become a teacher, the traditional courses that we are used and familiar to. But also we don't understand that the education systems are different as well. In the Western knowledges, we emphasize so much on critical thinking perspective. Back home, particularly in my experience, we are more on lot learning because we don't have exposure to libraries, we don't have exposure to resources, so we only take in what the teacher gives us. And our teacher is our librarian, and our teacher is our everything. So you come here and you're challenged to do independent learning, you are challenged to do your own research, there are quite a number of diverse challenges that come along that way. And specifically, that would be so for special humanitarian refugees who come and they immediately have access to education, they immediately have access to social service system. But those who seek asylum completely face a different horizon and different scope of challenges. One, they are not entitled to the education we are talking about, depending on the type of visa they have. So if they are able to even have access to education, they have to pay international fees. I speak about these experiences from my own perspective because I have finished the cycle of being a refugee and asylum seeker, and I have experienced all these perspectives. And one thing I had to struggle with was to pay international fees for my children in public high school and primary. For four years, I was paying all that while I was on asylum seeking. And I can tell you that it is draining. You do several jobs and you have to kind of balance up study and work and it becomes so strenuous. Uh, I mean, there are no words that can express that experience. And so from my job as uh, a project officer supporting refugees, new and emerging communities, I usually love to start from a strength perspective. That is the only way to survive. 
I start by expressing that, yes, we have the opportunities before us. We are in a country that has great opportunities, but everyone has where they start from. First, look inside and see what you are able to do. And that's how we bring in the passion component and the ability component. And also I tell them that there are so many other career options apart from being a lawyer, uh, being a doctor. You can take up several options that we have currently. The jobs we use to consider traditional jobs are not the jobs that we need workers for. We, we, we have a lot of need in some areas that you have to do your research and know which other profession can I take up. And then the other thing is um, I take pride in the university I work with, Western Sydney University, because they have put up pathways. Uh, if you, you arrived in the country and you have not had high school studies here, you are able to use the pathways through the college that is attached to the university, and you are able to pursue your passion step by step, starting from a diploma level, which takes you to the degree, and even you pursue your master's and doctorate if need be. So one thing I can say is there are lots of opportunities, but they are not consolidated. You don't know which one to take up, and so you are just navigating a big scope that you don't touch best with. So having people like this platform, having platforms like this one, exposes all these um, challenges, but also provides solutions to how we can move on. I can speak forever because this is my area and my field, but I'm happy to answer more questions as we go ahead. Thank you so much, Alfred. And, you know, I think how lucky is everyone to have you, somebody who absolutely understands from first-hand experience what it's like to be at university with a, a, a having arrived as a refugee, having or you know, been, having gone through the asylum process here, all the obstacles that might be put in your way, and yet your absolute resilience in saying we need to start from a position of strength and look at the opportunities, while also making sure that we're looking after each other and supporting each other. So thank you for what you do. It's so crucial, and I know it means so much, including to um, people on this call who've directly benefited from it. Shahida, I just wanted to turn uh, back to you and, you know, you're at the same university. So can you tell us some, about some of the things that the uni's done to try and make things easier for you in a really concrete way? And I'll just also bring in a question that's come in from an audience member who said how interesting it is uh, to hear what, what you're all saying. And that question is, um, and you might have been speaking to this in any event, but what was good ways of sharing information, you know, social networks or websites or active interventions, for example, lecturers talking about this in class, what, what were the most effective ways of, um, of finding out about support and sharing that information? So over to you. Oh, you're on mute, Shahida. Okay, sorry. Thank you, Jane. Um, well, I am the first one from my family to go to university. So for me, I 
the lack of information that I had, it wasn't just from like outside someone to tell me, but also from inside the house. My parents haven't been to high school or university either, so they didn't have the knowledge as well. Um, at my uni, have a lot of support available for refugees compared to many other unis in Sydney or even in Australia. Um, I knew that because I was involved with um, community organizations and through them, I was able to learn about Western Sydney. Western Sydney Uni was the first Sydney that I found out about when I came here. Um, and also, in my high school, there was only five of us from refugee background. But it's, but still, Western Sydney Uni was has somehow able to find us and provide us with that the information that we needed. That there is pathways available for you. The first thing that Western Sydney made it easy for me was the pathway that I was able to study. Because when I finished HSC, I didn't really get a good ATAR to be able to study business or law in another university. I did pass, but it wasn't that much. So through Pathways, which is a college from university, I was able to enter uni. And from there, I was able to enter into second year of university, which is like same as other students. Um, and other things, there, there is, English, a lot of English programs, also English conversation groups to help you with your English. Um, and there was a lot of check-ins with us in the beginning. So they would call us and ask about what help, what assistance we might need, uh, which is, which is, which from there I was able to connect with counselors and other assist, uh, study assistance that I needed. Um, there's also, um, uh, some uh, scholarship opportunities that university, uh, my university provides uh, that is specifically for refugee uh, students. But I haven't been able to access that because I just recently found out about that. Um, and yeah, so far, there is a lot more to do for universities, which I was gonna share um, later. Uh, some of the things that universities can do to help students learn and, and support them to learn better. Um, or to uh, adjust into university. But those are just some of the things that I have personally used, the services and the support from my university. But there's a lot more that I'm still learning and actually my university is engaging with us more. So they helped us to actually uh, open an um, Afghanistani club, uh, which through that they engage with us, they communicate with us, and that's how we all offer support um, for other um, students that are from Afghanistan in university. So it's like they collaborate with us now. Um, yeah. Thanks, Shahida. I mean, there's some really terrific initiatives that you described there. And um, yeah, perhaps a bit later we can um, return to some concrete recommendations. Cobra, back to you. It's often said that you can't be what you can't see. And so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how this might play out for students from refugee backgrounds and what might be done to address it. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's, that's really important, um, especially for um, you know, refugee students, I think, who uh, sort of feel, because they're kind of a minority group, I guess, or more marginalised group feel isolated anyway so that can kind of um, 
yeah, sort of not, not having a community to relate to or a society um, in university, like Shahida was talking about how important it is to kind of uh, be in contact with students who are similar to yourself or who've gone through similar experiences. Um, I think that's really, that can be one of the things that makes university such um, like a really enjoyful, I guess, experience as well um, on top of the academic side of things. So uh, being able to see people who look like yourself or who are from the same background um, in those sort of, um, I guess, contexts um, in universities or in leadership positions uh, can be really, really powerful, especially for students, you know, who who kind of underestimate themselves often as well because they're obviously really young and have limited experience still um, but also they're, they're not aware of um, the skill sets that that they've got or the talents that they've got um, so you know just just being kind of encouraging in that sense as well and showing them that they can be not just one thing um, like Alfred was talking about before as well you know not being limited to like only a few pathways career pathways but also uh, they can be out there in the community making a difference in so many different uh, different ways you know I think that that's super um, that's super powerful as well representation always matters and um, actually I, I was going to say at university Macquarie Uni we had a great program which was called the uh, peer mentorship program where um, university university students would go out and visit schools um, with you know students who are from refugee or migrant backgrounds and they kind of just um, visit them once a week or so and kind of have these sessions where they, they the students got the opportunities to ask any questions that they had about higher education or about the degrees that they're interested in um, and I think that's um, honestly one of the most powerful powerful ways that you can kind of um, uh, not only share information but also encourage those students to look up to you know um, yeah higher education and tertiary education um, and uh, yeah I think establishing those kind of points of contacts is really important um, uh, like Shahida mentioned as well like having I think involving the community the students community in these kind of situations can be uh, really yeah, really powerful as well in that um, it's often one of the, um, I guess, the closest point of contact for them as well. Um, you know, they hear about university from their friends or family, then um, it becomes all of a sudden a very real thing for them to aspire towards. Yes, I think that peer-to-peer -peer learning can't be, um, you know, it can't say enough about that because it can well be a way that somebody for the first time stops and thinks, oh, maybe I could do that. And, oh, I've never even heard about that opportunity. And seeing other people, um, you know, who can share those experiences, particularly if they might have had a similar background, can be so empowering in and of itself. Alfred, back to you. We, we had a, a conversation last week and one of the common themes that came out in that discussion was how foreign and unfamiliar university can seem. So I wondered if you could speak to some of the initiatives that you've created to help refugee students settle in and to support them through their studies. Thank you, Jen. And I will come back to that as I appreciate Shahida and Cobra because uh, they came when they were still young. But can I speak for those refugees who come with some qualifications and who come when they are 20 years and above and yet they need a future in this country too. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing universities rise up and size up to welcome some professions that come in this country 
and they are redundantly sitting somewhere in their houses, somewhere at home. And yet universities could do more. And what can they do? I feel like if someone came and they were lawyers, they were medical doctors, they were engineers, they may not, they may put their credentials aside, yes, even go through accreditation processes. But if universities can tap into those resources in a way that they attach some people to certain schools, faculties, and they give them just an exposure to Western education and also see how much they can contribute to different schools of thought. So I have a feeling that there is a big cohort. Currently, we have like 8,000, over 8,000 new arrivals from Afghanistan. And we have a very big percentage of them being qualified professionals, but they are not fitting anywhere in the system that we are talking about. We have had some from other countries too. So that group is at heart. Now I can go back to the group that we are talking about. And some of the ways that we, 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 we see the university, we have always known the university as a place of intellectuals and as a place that is isolated for those who are able to pursue uh, the academic challenges. But today we are demystifying that a university is a phase of life of being exposed to knowledge, but also being exposed to practices that can take you into a profession. So the way I have done it, I organize what I call university tester days. And these university tester days, we bring communities to the university. They interact with different schools and communities within the university. They talk to them about what they offer and how these communities can have access to that. So I do that for community organizations, specifically parents, uniquely because parents are the ones putting those pressures and they need to demystify what a university is. But also those students who are prospective, I give them that chance to come apart from coming on open days, apart from visiting different universities for different exposure experience, I also allow them to come and spend a day at the university, visit and speak to academics, and bring all that into, into perspective and context. And like I always say, there's a lot to say, but I will keep cutting short so that we can have time for more questions. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, on that perhaps, um, I wanted to ask each of you based on your own experiences a, a question. And it actually ties into a question that we've uh, just had come through on the chat. And that question was, what are some specific ways that universities can improve the way they support or consolidate their support for students from displacement backgrounds? And perhaps reflecting on that, there might be three specific things that you would like lecturers and fellow students at uni to know in order to better support students from refugee backgrounds. So Alfred, let's start with you. First, let's look at new arrivals and refugees as people with potential. It, it will make a big difference. The media, the policies have branded us and that is stigmatizing enough. Universities shouldn't fall in the same category they tap in the potential that is in every refugee. That's one way I can suggest. 
Thank you. I mean, if there were ever, if we ever needed to see potential, I mean, I'm just looking at my screen now, um, you know, you demonstrate that strength, that resilience, overcoming adversity, overcoming the odds to really make a, a difference, achievements in your own lives, but also assisting the broader community. And I think that's absolutely right. If that message were to be understood more broadly, then I think some of the policies that we've seen in this country and, and at times being replicated in other countries simply couldn't continue um, because the broader community would also understand that so clearly. Alfred, was there anything else that you wanted to add at this point? Sure. I think the universe also has the duty of care around advocacy because we do research and all these world challenges that bring us into this space as refugees could also be taken to higher levels and there's a lot of advocacy that can be done. Spaces like this could multiply in several places to create awareness. So, because some people are not truly aware of what we go through and the universities uh, would really not fall in that category. I mean, people who are in academics, people who are in the professional world who would really do great through advocacy. And that is one additional aspect I would add on. And we speak to policymakers, to international instruments that are being instituted, and also look into outside the box, because we just don't come from heaven and fall here. We come from somewhere. That's really important recommendation. Absolutely. Thank you. Cobra, what about you? Are there things that you'd recommend, any you know, concrete recommendations you could suggest? Um, yeah, I guess I could add a few points on top of what um, Alfred has already pointed out. I think um, what he said about kind of bringing families and involving parents in the kind of university system is um, amazing. It's incredible work. And I think, um, yeah, that, that's really important as well, because often they don't have access to that kind of understanding or information. Um, and, you know, they're the ones who can really push and encourage their children as well to pursue higher education um, if, if that's what they wanted to do. Um, apart from that, I think I'd also say universities um, can be more kind of compassionate and open to kind of reaching out to these students, uh, especially when, you know, they see that the, these sort of unfortunate and tragic events, um, uh, whether that's political or social happening, like taking event overseas. Uh, in times like that, I know universities have, like Macquarie Uni reached out last year um, to like Afghan students to see if they can offer them any sort of support. Um, so I think that sort of thing really does make a big difference. And um, if unis can kind of be the, the first ones to, to kind of offer uh, help, um, it, it does make a difference. And one more thing that I'd add is also, um, like Alfred mentioned, the importance of consulting community um, organisations with these kind of things as well, because um, often they're the ones who have the um, best understanding of the, of the community that they're working with as well. Um, and the, there are some amazing organisations out there that are doing some really important work. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, it's really, really important to work uh, with them as well too, I guess, um, yeah, share those resources. Thanks for that. A question actually came through asking about the role of settlement services as well and whether they could be more proactive or, you know, how they might better support refugee students to pursue 
tertiary pathways. Does anyone have a reflection on that? Sure, I work with the settlement service organizations. Currently I'm partnering with 11 of them. They are, first, they are the first point of contact when refugees reach in the country. They help refugees settle in into accessing social service systems, Medicare, Centrelink, and also English proficiency uh, courses and all that. Uh, so what I do, I also educate them about the pathways different universities have because they very much have a lot on their plate already to settle and newly arrived refugees. And the other component is that we as universities should go to them, TEF should go to them, so that we give them a hand in supporting newly arrived refugees because they are currently doing well. That's what I can say. We have to go to them. Thank you. That's really helpful. Did anyone else want to respond on that, or shall I move to Shahida? Um, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess um, I was also going to say if um, sort of settlement services, obviously um, helping out with sort of one of some of the kind of main obstacles, I guess, or hurdles like language and that kind of thing, but also um, offering, uh, depending on, for example, the student or, or the person's kind of abilities and also experience, they can, if they can offer them opportunities in like leadership or, you know, being involved in the community or even university, I think those kind of things can be really empowering and, and um, build out of those other, other skills. Um, as well. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Well, Shahida, I wanted to turn to you now to get your uh, recommendations on what you'd like to see fellow students and, and lecturers and so on understanding about your experience. Um, yeah, so I had um, the same things that Cobra and Alfred mentioned. However, I have some more points. Um, so, it's, I agree for, uh, for universities to engage and collaborate with students parents because there is a lot of pressure when you came here first from like from home as well um it would be good to have sessions with them and talk about the study environment and university and how they can support them at home um, and also another important thing that really helped me um is the community so i was really active in the community i was uh, i was doing a lot of volunteering and other stuff um it's really important for universities to also collaborate with communities that's how uh western sydney does uh which is um really important they can help uh, you know raise awareness around the university study system um through workshops or other events for students um to help them prepare for uni um and also Another important thing um, is that universities offer a lot of short-term or even long-term employment. And a lot of the time, it's really hard for um, refugees to find a job outside of university um, because they don't have the experience. And it would be really great for universities to allocate some of those jobs and hire um, students from refugee background. It will really help them um, into pursuing you know, their careers and um, another thing was, yeah, that, that could happen through a career expo, expo that can raise awareness around that. And also checking on them on a regular basis. Um, those smallest things really help students into like settling into university um, and provide them uh, special 
mental health or emotional support um, and also study support as well as they, a lot of them are struggling with English. We knew even like I am struggling with my English a lot. I have been here for five years. Um, some of the terminologies that are used, especially in law, I, I still um, struggle to understand. Um, so yeah, it would be really great to have um, tutor or even like mentorship or, um, you know, English-based conversations uh, or activities. And also for other universities, other than my Western Sydney Uni, um, I really want to see more representation. Um, as when you look at some of the universities, it's very hard to find someone who is from my country, someone who is from a refugee background. Um, you know, I'm sure we all have that potential. If we get the chance, we can grow just same and, you know, same to other students. Um, I really want to see, um, you know, either if that's possible through pathways or other programs, I really want to see some representation in other universities. And um, another, and the last thing that I was going to talk about is the payment system. So if you're not a citizen, you have to pay a very high amount of money, which I wasn't able to pay for the last two years of my university. That's why my, my studies are delayed. So I was only studying, uh, at first I had to drop out and go work. Um, but then when I came back, I had to study only one subject or two subjects in order to afford it. So if there could be something done, uh, I am sure university has a lot of connections with policymakers, as Albert mentioned, mentioned um, through their advocacy, if something you know, could change about this or even lower the amount, that would be great because I know a lot of students, my friends who had to drop out of university for like even a year and our studies are already delayed through our journey when we, when we become a refugee. So even if that, if they can do something regarding that, that would be great as well. If, either that's through scholarship or advocacy or um, yeah, anything related to that. Well, what an excellent set of recommendations that you've all come up with. I mean, there is so much food for thought there and really constructive suggestions. I, I wanted to put to you, um, and Shahida, perhaps I'll, I'll stay with you for this question. This is something that uh, one of the audience members has asked. And it reminded me of our um, discussion last week. It, the question is about things that individuals can do to make the uni experience better. So from a fellow student having a, an understanding of what's going on perhaps, you know, last August with the, the Taliban uh, in Afghanistan, through to, you know, the vice chancellor or, or chancellor having a, a, um, a meeting with you to, to express sympathy, understanding, offer support. I mean, how important are individuals in this process, do you think? Well, even the smallest thing counts. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a collective or as an individual. Um, I remember during the downfall of Afghanistan, I was so disconnected. I was so affected that I was disconnected completely with what was going on in my studies. I couldn't do my assessment. I couldn't even respond to an email. I couldn't even email my teachers explaining my situation so that they can offer me support. Um, so in those situations, it's really important for university to reach out, which my university did. They give us every single one of us a call and you know they did um, assess us with whatever that we needed. Um, and also another thing that was really challenging was with the group assignment. Um, 
students, a lot of the students have no idea about what's going on outside of university, outside of Australia. Um, you know, they they were born here. They have a really different lifestyle. So it would be really great for universities to. I know it's 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 it sounds hard, but it is possible to have uh, sessions, information sessions, or something like a program to inform them about the situation. Um, and even to encourage them to connect with students from who are from a refugee background, um, because to have a friend is important. Like we didn't have anyone at that time because it was online as well. But in person, it's really um, easier to have a friend. Um, it's like you have a support system. You can you have someone to go to to talk to, um, someone that can help you um, find help or find assistance, further assistance. Um, and another really important thing my university did was they provided us with a special consideration uh, specifically just for us that we were able to just submit it. They actually wrote it uh, on a PDF and sent it to all of us. We were able to uh, apply for extensions um, easily and we would get it as well. Um, so that's something that really helped us not stay, you know, behind our assessments and exams and just um yeah it 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 really made a lot of difference um i guess that's all that's coming to my mind right now but i'm sure there's a lot more um if cobra or alfred have anything else they can share thank you shahida i mean they're really concrete um ways in which support can be offered we've got two minutes left but i don't want to cut off either alfred and, and cobra if they did want to just add something briefly to that final question Quickly, mentorship is very important. If we can find a number of students through uh, find mentors. Uh, the other one is the student clubs that we could engage. Uh, we have started a couple of clubs that support students. But also at university level, we have established uh, through UNSW the platform for all universities, refugee special interest group, which is really coordinated at UNSW. and. We can reach out and know what more we can do. Over to you, Cobra, sorry. <laughs> uh, thanks, Alfred. No, I think I, I was just going to echo what you and Shada have said as well, um, in that universities have the kind of, I guess, um, yeah, opportunity and the privilege to give power to um, students as well, to form their own um, communities and societies, I guess, at uni and really reach their potential. So, yeah, that's all. Thank you. I mean, that's just such a, a wonderful note to end on. I mean, we called this event the power to welcome. Maybe we should have called it the power to empower, <laughs> as well as the power of friendship, the power of mentoring. I think all those things have, have come up as consistent themes today. I wanted to thank each of you, not only for your contribution to this panel, but for your wider contribution to your communities in whatever form they be, whether they are cultural communities, whether they're university communities or professional communities. As I said, your leadership uh, demonstrates the, the way that refugees continue to contribute so importantly to the Australian community. And it's been a great honour to be able to chat with each of you today. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.